Good morning. Great to be back at Nashua. And on this day, Veterans Day, man, I tell you, that video really choked me up at the beginning of the service as I was watching that. And I'm very fortunate that we had four sons and none of them had to go to war. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but I have great respect for our armed services and all that they're doing all over the world. And I want to pray for them this morning. Uh, many of them have been to war and they're still at war when they come home. And there's so many of our veterans that are having difficult times today. We need to remember them in prayer because it's not easy going through uh, being a soldier and fighting a war. And we want to pray for them this morning. And thank you for that introduction. I'm not a doctor, but uh, I wished I was. I, you know, I went to college and seminary, and, and uh, uh, I, when I finished with seminary, the thought of going back and, and getting a doctorate just literally made me sick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just like, oh, I can't do that. I just can't do it. Uh, I thought about it, but I couldn't. We had four sons, and uh, uh, it seemed like every time we went to another school, we had another baby, and uh, I just was afraid we were going to have another baby. <laughs> Because uh, it, it wasn't easy going to school and having four sons. Uh, I remember one night we were so poor and uh, we were eating peanut butter for supper. And uh, my one son, Caleb, he loved to eat. And he didn't, you know, he just loved to eat. Well, some wise deacon saw our situation. And when we came home from church that morning, we got home that afternoon and there was three boxes of groceries on our porch and uh, man we was all excited we went inside and we cooked up a big thing of spaghetti that night you know and got ready to eat and Caleb who loves to eat says daddy he says I want to pray tonight I said all right Caleb go ahead I tell you I never heard a more thankful prayer <laughs> in all my life <laughs> you know he was very very thankful for that food that day and uh, was excited to have that those are those are good times, good times. You know, you learn more about the grace of God uh, when you're going through hard times than you do when you're going through good times. Am I right on that? You are. You do. And uh, difficulties and trials have come to all of us. And uh, it's in those days, those dark times and difficult times that uh, you really have to cry out to God and you find and you learn about God's faithfulness. And so uh, I thank God that He gives us those times that we can learn more about Him. So I'm, I'm grateful for everything God's placed us through. But I do have a great burden for our veterans, and we need to remember them in prayer. So many of them are in very dark times right now, and they don't know how to get out. And uh, it's so vitally important that we as the church be the church and do the right thing so that they can see what God is like and that they can, uh, can open up their hearts. Uh, God can reach them, thankfully, through the Bible. And I remember going into service and getting that little Bible myself and seeing them in so many hotel rooms and just the miracle of God's Word, how it's able to uh, reach even those in the darkest of places and change their minds and hearts because God's Word's living and it's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it has more penetrating power than a, a bullet does. When God speaks and it hits right to the soul, it can certainly turn a man around and a woman around. So let's pray for our veterans this morning and ask God to have mercy on them and to help them in their time of need and that all of them would come to know Christ as their Savior. Father, we thank you today 
And we do remember those that have died on the behalf of their country. And uh, Lord, uh, we just are thankful, Father. Uh, so many, I think, don't understand the price that's been paid for our freedom. And Lord, I, I pray that this next generation and every generation, Lord, would just honor those who, who gave the ultimate price, Lord, so that we could live in a country that's free and we can do all this silly, crazy stuff that we do in this country and have the liberty to do it, whether it be right or wrong. Lord, uh, it, it took, it was a price that was paid. And we pray for our veterans today. Ask you, Lord, to, to encourage their hearts, to guide them and lead them. We know that you love them far more than we do. And you created each and every one of them. Each and every one of them are precious to you. And Father, we know that you want them to be uh, healed and made whole. And that's why your son, Jesus Christ, came that we might have liberty and freedom and that we might also be healed in the sickness of our souls, Father. And so we want to lift them up to you and pray for them and ask you to bless them today and help this church be a church that reaches out to those that are in need. As all the churches we pray in New England, we pray, Father, that we'll all have hearts uh, that are, are that can reach out and touch those that are around us, especially our men and women that have served in the armed forces. And then, Father, I do want to pray for Pastor Steve and Terry and and uh, Pastor Russ and the others that went on this trip to Spain. God, we're considering whether we want a partnership with them. Uh, Lord, to be able to send teams and to minister. And we just pray that God, you'll confirm that in their hearts as they go to investigate this, that Lord, this is your will or not. And so we ask you to bless them today and be with them. And now, Father, as we come to this time where we look at your word, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do what only it can do. And that's to illuminate and to uh, reveal and to speak to our hearts, dear Lord, from your word. And I pray that I'll get out of the way and let you do what you want to do this morning, Lord. And so, Father, bless us today. Bless the speaker and the hearer. And Lord, let your will be done today. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have one, or your phone, or whatever you have, and uh we're going to go to two places today. One of those is we're going to end up in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. But before we do that, I want us to go to the book of Isaiah and chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. So as you're turning there uh, and marking those places in your Bible, I just want to, I do want to thank you that uh, this, your church is, is a part of a great network of churches here in New England, the Baptist Convention of New England. There's about 360 churches and church plants right now all over New England, and uh, many more churches are being planted. I think we had 20 planted this year, 20 churches planted this year. And uh, it's all because churches like Nashua will give to the cooperative program and, and we're able to supply seed for the sower and help uh, churches get started with grants and funds and resources and, and missions. And so thank you. Thank you for your continued faithful support. And I want you to know God's at work here in New England. And it's really something to see what God is doing. We just had our annual meeting. I don't know if anybody from here got to go or not. I encourage you to do so if you don't. But it was the best annual meeting I think we've ever had. It all focused on church planting. 
And I think one of the highlights to me of the whole meeting was when Pastor or President Tim Owen, who's a pastor up in Rutland, Vermont, uh, preached a great message, but he called us to come and pray. And uh, man, many pastors from all over New England just met there at the altar, and we were praying for the harvest, praying that God would continue to reach souls here in New England, and that God would empower us to be able to do that. And I believe he's answering that prayer. You know, I came here about 20 years ago, 1998, it is 20 years ago, uh, and uh you know, I, I moved up from the south where most of our ministry had been in the southeast and the Midwest. And I was pleased when I got up here to see the amount of pastors across denominational lines that were praying together. And many of them were recounting and revisiting and thinking about the great awakenings that happened here in New England years ago and praying that God would do it again. And I believe that in those 20 years and that continual praying that I see with pastors and churches asking God to send a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, I truly believe that the wind is blowing. I believe that we're beginning to see uh, what I think is going to be, a, a, it is a movement of God. To think that over 160 churches have been planted by the Baptist Convention of New England here in New England is something that can only be attributed to God. And the fact that 91% of those are still in existence today, some of them running over a thousand people, is a miracle of God. And I think God is working and moving. So keep praying, keep giving, and keep, uh, keep blessing the way that you're doing because God is at work and we need to be faithful to see God continue to do this. God wants to use us. God will use us if we'll do the right thing. Everybody say that with me this morning. Do the right thing. Will you say that again with me? Do the right thing. All right, that's what God wants us to do, is do the right thing. And that's what you find there in Isaiah chapter 56. As we begin reading there this morning, the Bible tells us this is what the Lord says. He says, preserve justice and do what is right. So I just kind of changed it a little bit. Do the right thing. So God is saying there that we should preserve justice and do the right thing. For my salvation is coming soon. Jesus is coming back again. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe it? Come on, work with me now. Do you believe it? Jesus Christ is coming again. He says, my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. And happy is the man, the woman, the boy or girl that will do this. Anyone who maintains this, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing evil. Now, that Sabbath is an important thing in the Jewish community. It's an important thing to you and me as New Testament believers and people that are living in the New Covenant because that, uh, that Sabbath that's being spoken of here, I believe, is Jesus Christ because in the book of Hebrews, it tells me that there is a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath rest for us, and that Sabbath rest is Jesus because Jesus, just like God the Father, completed all the work that needed to be done Everything that needed to be done for you and me to come into a relationship with God has been completed. Christ has done that. And you don't add anything to it and you don't take away from it. In other words, don't desecrate the Sabbath. Don't desecrate what Jesus Christ has done. Don't try to work yourself into heaven because you can't do it. 
Don't think that you can give enough to God to allow you to come to heaven because you won't be able to. Don't think that you'll be able to live a moral enough life that God will be pleased enough with you because you did everything right that God's going to let you into heaven. That's not how you and I get to heaven. We get to heaven through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the all-sufficient, all-giving Savior who was the only one able to accomplish what needed to be done so that mankind could be saved. Nobody could save us but Christ. Nobody could create the world but God. God did all of these things through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we are to be faithful about the Sabbath. The Sabbath being the Sabbath dress of Christ. And it also means about coming to worship and rest from our works in order that God might be glorified. So these things are important to God. Happy is the man that will do the right thing. And the word goes on to say in verse 3, and this is important, because he says, No foreigner who has converted to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from His people. Do you see that? No foreigner that has converted to the Lord, should say, the Lord has excluded me from His people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree, for the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who have kept my Sabbath and chose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them the house and within, and within my walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and the daughters. Who's the sons and daughters? In this case, it would be Israel. And so what he's saying here is two things that I think are important to you and me, is that make sure that no outsider should ever say, I'm a second-class citizen. That means that somebody outside of our tribe, that means that somebody maybe of a different race or a different nationality or somebody that's not of Israel, don't ever make any of them that are foreigners feel like they're a second-class citizen. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do the right thing. Don't feel that way about anybody. Everybody and all people, no matter what race, no matter what color, no matter what tribe, no matter where they're from, God says that person that believes in me is not a second-class citizen. He's just as good or better than my sons and my daughters. How about that? And secondly, I want you to see here that he says the eunuch, the person who has been mutilated. Many people feel like they're not good enough, that they're damaged goods and God and the church doesn't want them. I want you to understand something. No mutilated or damaged or wounded or broken person should ever have to feel like that. And there's plenty of wounded, broken, mutilated people in this world. And they feel like they can't go to church They feel like God doesn't want them because they're damaged goods. Do you hear what I'm saying? God says, do the right thing, church. Don't make them feel like that. Don't make them feel like they can't come to God. Don't make them feel like God doesn't want them because of their mildness or because of their brokenness, that God can't take care of them, that God can't save them. Don't make them feel like that. Let them know that there is hope in God because God's feelings towards the damaged and the second-class citizen is this. You are just as important to me, in fact, more important to me than my own children and my own daughter. Now, how could he say such a thing as that? Well, I think Jesus illustrated it time and time again. The 99 and the 1. You know the story. The 91 that were a part of the fold, but the 1 went away. Jesus, what was most important to Christ? 
It was the one that Jesus was concerned about. Not that he doesn't love the 99, but it's the one that he came to seek and to save. He says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus is concerned about that one. He's concerned about the outcast. He's concerned about the damaged. He wants all of those to be a part of God's family and a part of his house. And God says, I'll put you in my house. I'll make a memorial in my house. You'll be better than my sons and my daughter. And I will give me, man, this honor and this privilege. You know, this week I had an interesting thing happen. We were down visiting a young lady that uh, has had a lot of problems. And so she's kind of in this physical rehab place. And you know, we were down there to minister to her, and, and she was, you know, she's just damaged good. She's damaged. She's had, you know, she's been drugs, she's been prostitution, she's been all of this stuff. She's, she's just damaged goods. And, and she grew up, and they, they ran her through school. She had a second-grade education when she got out of high school because they just wouldn't invest in her and try to help her with the learning disabilities that she had. But I'll tell you, she's just such a sweet person. She's come to Christ. She's in our church, and so we, we're trying to minister to her. And, and so we were down there ministering to her, and, and you know, I, I was able, you know, we were just looking and talking to her, and and and. And it just dawned on me. I said, you know, there's no other person in the world like you. No other person in the world, Jessica, like you. Because she's just got this giftedness about her. She can connect with just about anybody. And that's the kind of people you want in a church. You know, she doesn't matter who you are, you know, or where you're from. She can connect with you. And she wants to invite you to church. And she wants to tell you about Jesus. She's got a gift. She's unique in that way. And all of her life, she told her, I, I don't have a gift. I'm stupid. Nobody wants me. I can't do anything. That's what she'd been told all of her life, and she had believed it. She was damaged good, and so we got to minister to her and talk to her. But what was even neater is when I came out of that room, I ran into a fella that was from Ethiopia. His name is Abebe. Abebe came to the United States as a refugee, and we were able to take him into our home when they, came, when they came to the United States, and they lived in our home for three months as they tried to get acclimated to the culture and to just you know, living here in the United States. And Abebe is, you talk about the American dream, they literally came with nothing. I, I never will forget this. They were unpacking there. They had this big yellow thing. It was full of butter. Now, who, who brings butter with them from another country? I thought, man, Lyle, we got butter everywhere around here. You don't need to bring your own butter. But, you know, that's, I'm telling you, he came with nothing. Now he owns a home, and uh, he, God has blessed him. He, he just works so hard. He's a citizen now of the United States of America. And Abebe, I want you to know, he's, a, he's not a citizen by birth. He's a citizen by choice. And that's special. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you and I, we don't have any say in the matter we were born here. If you were born here, you're just a citizen. That's just the way it is. But not a bebe. A bebe came, and it was, you know, a choice for him. And that choice was, as I want to be a citizen of the United States of America. You hear what I'm saying? There's something unique about that. Something above you, what you and I really experience. You know, they're, they're citizens by choice. And that's, that makes them very special in that way. And I think it's about Sean Pillay, came from South Africa. He planted the church where I'm at. Sean just became a citizen on the 16th of this month, and he has been working through that. Now him and Deshney are citizens here in the United States, and they're working hard. 
You know, they are investing in the community. They are investing in, in the lives of other people. And I looked at a bebe and he had on his, his uh, medical, uh, and I looked at him and I thought to myself, I thought, I said, a bebe? I said, are you a doctor now? <laughs> He's a nurse. He's not a doctor, but he looked at me. You know what he said? He says, no, but he says, Faith, which is his daughter who's two years old when they came, Faith is now in medical school at Yale University and she's going to be a doctor. How about that, huh? Amen? I was just so thrilled to hear that. That's a blessing. You know, You know, God says, I'm going to bring you in. You may be an outcast. You may be a foreigner. But I'm going to make a memorial for you in my house because you're special. You're here by choice. You're here because you want to be. And there's a lot of people out there just like that. Let's read a little bit further. And the Bible tells me in verse 6, it says, And the foreigners who convert to the Lord minister to Him, love the Lord's name, and are His servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who firmly to my covenant, He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain, and I will let them rejoice in my house of prayer, and their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you hear that? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, the mission that God has always had is that all men, all people, all over the world, no matter who you are, His mission was that all the world would worship Him. That's God's plan. He wants all the nations to come to Him. He wants all the nations to know His greatness and His goodness. That's God's plan. That's His mission. And when all that mission is accomplished and over with, He'll wrap it all up, and we're going to spend eternity with the God that saved us and loved us. That's the mission. And I want you to understand something, church. The mission came before the church. Do you hear me? The mission came before the church. Now, we need to do the right thing. And we need to understand something. The mission is really more important than the church. Because the church's mission is to reach all people. You hear that? That's why the church was created. That's why God's got it here in existence. That's why you're here today as a part of Nashua Baptist Church. You're a part of the plan and the mission of God. And the God is that all of the world should come to know Him and they should worship Him. This is what He's saying right here in this passage. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations and I will gather to them still others beside those already gathered. I will gather to them still others and that's what God's doing today. So that's the context of what I want you to understand as we flip over to Mark chapter 11. And in verse 15, the Bible tells us here that Jesus came to Jerusalem and He went to the temple complex and began to throw out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves. And He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple complex. Let me set the stage for you here. The temple complex was a huge place. The court of the Gentiles was 35 acres. Huge, big place, big place. And the court of the Gentiles was designed so that people who had not been converted to Judaism could come and they could hear about God. It was a place where they could come and pray 
Not going to the temple itself, but they could be exposed to the God of Israel and they could learn about Him and they could pray and God made a place for them there in the temple complex where they could come to this place and worship. So that's what it was designed for. Everybody could come and it was a great big large place. But something happened here. And uh, the Jewish uh, or the... The mafia took over. That's the best way I can say it. The mafia came in. They took over. And they established this huge marketplace there in the court of the Gentiles. Because if you were going to offer a sacrifice uh, to God, you had to come and you had to offer a kosher, a clean, a pure sacrifice. And so if I brought my lamb all the way from Judah, you know, down from Bethlehem over to the place, you know, they would probably look at it and say, it's not good enough. They'd find something wrong with it. And so in order for me to get a sacrifice that day, I would have to buy one from them. So it was a racket. You see what I'm saying? They set it up where you had to buy from them in order to offer a sacrifice to God. And then furthermore... Not only did you have to buy their sacrifice, but you also had to pay for it with their money. So therefore, you had to take the money that you had, the common money that was used, and you had to exchange it for the money that they used to pay taxes. So they were putting an exorbitant price on the sacrifices, and they were making money off the exchange of money. This was a huge market. Josephus said that on one Passover, over 250,000 lambs were sold. 250,000 lambs were sold in one day. Do you see how big a market this was? Do you see how big a business this was? Do you see how much money was involved in what was taking place there in Jerusalem? And unto this also, there was this place where you could, the, the Gentile court was a, became a traffic way, almost a highway where people would walk through. It was a shortcut if you wanted to get to the Mount of Olives. So it was a place that was being totally desecrated. It was a place that had changed the purpose of what God intended it to be. And it was a place where people were being preyed upon and they were being sold stuff that cost them money and it was just a big market business. Now I want you to understand something. Every church is known for something. Every one of us are. This church has a name in the community. And it's either a name that you have created or it's a name that's been given to you. But every church is going to have an identity. Now, the temple had an identity. And it wasn't a very good one. In fact, what they told, uh, talked about it in the community, this was a den of thieves is what it was being identified as. Instead of being a house of God and a place of prayer, it was being identified as a den of thieves. And Jesus Christ came in that day and guess what he did? He put a whooping on those boys. I mean, he started grabbing them by the back of the neck and throwing them out. He picked up a whip and he began to beat them. He began to turn over money changers. He was the Tasmanian devil for about 15 or 20 minutes and he was letting them know who was in charge because God was very offended by what was going on in this place. I'd like to see that. I hope they do reruns because when I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus putting a whooping on those guys. Wouldn't that be something? 
There's several things I want to see when I get to heaven. I want to see Jesus putting that whooping on them, but I can't wait to see Jesus when he sings. The book of Zephaniah tells me that God will sing over us with joy. I love music, and that's going to be the best concert I've ever heard or ever will hear. Can you imagine that? Hearing God sing. And so in this place where Jesus was turning over tables and all of this, the word began to come out of him, and this is what he said, and he began to teach them. Verse 17, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Now where did we get that? We just got that from Isaiah 56. It's always been God's plan that his gathering, his people would come together, that everybody would be welcome, and everybody could be a part of it. And the purpose of that was that they could learn about God, that they could pray to a God that hears, that they could feel the closeness and the presence of God, and the place where they could come and they could worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's always been God's plan. But He says, you've taken my plan, my mission, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Then the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they started looking for a way to destroy him for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. Hallelujah for that. Hallelujah. It awed them. It silenced them. They didn't know what to do about it. This big business was suddenly turned on its head and man, it wasn't pointing and it wasn't looking good for those that were in charge. Jesus Christ was in charge. I want to ask the question this morning, is Jesus Christ in charge of you? Is He in charge of this church? What are you known for in this community? Are you a loving church? Would people say, oh yeah, that church is a loving church. Is it a church that cares? Are you known in the community? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the people you know that, man, they love children there. They have great programs. Is that the church, you know, yeah, that's the church you know that uh, they, they, they care for the poor around here and they do great things. Oh yeah, that church, they really, they really love people. They came to visit me when I was in the hospital or they came and saw me when I was in prison. What's the church known for? You see, the church is known for something and we, we can either set the agenda and we can accept the tone of what it is to, that it is that we believe in and what we know and who we are or the community will do it for us. You may only be known as the church, or oh, that's the church up on the hill, you know, or that's the church over by the Buddhist temple. What are you known for? You see, it's important because God's got a mission, and the mission comes before the church. You know, I, I think one, I heard one of our church planters say, you know, and I, I would love to, to say, oh, that's a praying church up there. I know that they pray. They pray for me. I know they're praying for the community. I know because I've met them and they're just a praying people. And one of our church planners said, you know, we ought to be praying the hell out of our communities. I thought that was a classic line. <laughs> just pray the hell out of your community. Wow. That's Stephen Mook over in Rhode Island. And there's a lot of hell over in Rhode Island. I'm glad he's there. There's a lot of hell right here in this town. Am I right? Drug addictions, broken homes, children without moms and dads. There's so much going on in our culture today. And I'm so glad that you've got a young pastor. 
I am because, listen, I'm, I'm 63 years old. I want you to know I'm confused. I don't get it anymore. I'm trying. I try to keep up. But after a while, you get so much keeping up, there ain't more keeping up to it. You know, you just can't make it anymore. You've gone as far as you can. And I hope that day never comes. I never will forget when I was a young boy, my, my uncle asked me, he said, Bruce, he said, what is disco? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. You know, I was only nine years old. What's this disco all about? You know, he was a ragtime Dixieland player. And so, you know, he had a whole different mind. But he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And I thought to myself at that very moment, I said, I hope I never get that old that I don't get it. Well, it happened to me about 20 years ago when rap music came into, you know, I, I thought, I don't get it, and I still don't get it. But you got a young pastor now, and he understands this new culture. And thank God you've got somebody like that. Now, the Word of God doesn't make any difference. Whoever preaches it, it's the Word of God. But being able to preach it in a way that doesn't blocks people from coming, that doesn't hinder people from getting close to God because there's a whole lot of garbage and stuff going on out here that people can't get to God because of all the stuff that's going on. I read an article by Andy Stanley this week, and he's one of those young preachers, and the title of it was, and don't get offended, Gideon, but why it's not, en- why, but why it's not enough that it's the Word of God. Because our classic way of preaching has been the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. We live in such a post-Christian culture today that for me to say that to somebody, the Bible says, is about as relevant for you and me if somebody says, if an E-man was to tell us the Quran says. That's the way they would feel about it. The same way we would feel about somebody saying the Quran says this. It's just not in our, it's not in our bag. It's not in our understanding. And we got a post-Christian culture out there that for them to hear the Bible says so doesn't mean anything to them. Nothing at all because we don't, we don't live in that culture any longer where the Bible is revered as holy. And the church is the place to be if you want to know about God. That's not the culture that we live in today. And thank God for these younger guys that understand that. And they're able to connect with this next generation and the generation that's coming up. Because we don't want to put any blockages in the way. We don't want to stop people from being able to come to God because our predisposition for a way of life that is no longer. We have to change. We have to be known as a people that know God and make it easy for me to know Him too. And that's the world that we live in today. What are you going to be known as as a church? You're going to take that next step? You're going to venture out? You're going to remove the blockages that keep people from coming to God in your own life and the life of your church? Man, wouldn't it be great to be known as a church, man? I went there and, boy, I tell you what, I don't know what those people got, but I sure felt God when I was there. And when I meet people from that church, man, it just seemed like God's all over them. And they love me, and I can sense God's presence in them. And there are people that are, are just, they got the Spirit of God in them or something. I don't know what it is. And, and, and you just know that they care about you. 
You see, what that is in all reality, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus in us that when people sense that and they feel that and they know that, that's a Christian. And that's what this world needs to see. doesn't need to hear about being a Christian. It needs to see some Christians. And when they see Christians and they see Christ, it'll do something and it'll mean something. And my prayer for you my prayer for all of the churches here in New England is that our life and the way we speak and the way that we act is not going to keep people from getting to the presence of God. But it will be an open invitation to say, I don't know what they got, but it's great and I think there's something to it and I'd like to know more. That's what I'd like to see happen. So as we come to this time of invitation and time of close, I want to pray for you. If you want to come up and pray for me, maybe there's somebody in your life that you're trying to reach or or just maybe there's some ministry that God is wanting you to do in this, this community. That God is directing you. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you about it. Or maybe you're here today and you've been hearing about this Jesus and you're ready to make that decision today. Let me tell you, it'd be the best decision you ever made. And I will pray with you And I will tell you how you personally can have a relationship with God. And today, you can leave out of here a changed person knowing that God is your Savior and heaven is your home. So let's stand to our feet at this moment. Would everybody please bow with me and let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for moments like this. God, when we can come before Your and uh, just seek Your will and Your blessing in our lives. And Father, I thank You for this church. And God, I thank You for what God is doing here. Oh God, I just pray that You'll extend the boundaries of this ministry. That Lord, You'll open doors that no man can shut. I pray, Father, that this will be a city on a, on a hill, shining and bright. And God, that within the city of Nashville, it will be a place of refuge. And it will be a kingdom of deliverance and salvation. And God, it will be different and it will be appealing and it will be something that this world and this city wants to see. And so Lord, bless us, I pray today. Help us to do Your will. God, help us to follow You. And Father, we'll give You all the glory and the praise. And so right in these few minutes now while we have this time of invitation, I'll be up here at the front. I'll pray with you if you want to come about whatever God's speaking to your heart this morning about. You come as we sing.